Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad to share the next little bit of time here with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we're learning how to live as God's people, and we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Well, the holidays are fast approaching. You can see it in the stores already, I know. And in a few weeks, it'll be Thanksgiving, and then it'll be the mad rush to the Christmas season. And some of you find the holidays to be a time of excitement. Others find it to be stressful, or maybe you find it to be both, I don't know. And still others, it's a burden of grief. And my hope is today's message would help relieve you of some of that burden, whether it's grief or obligation, whatever the burdens you may feel through the holidays or just feel in life, that you may be relieved of that today. I want to begin by reminding you of a song that we often think of as a children's song, but it's not a children's song. It's an African-American spiritual. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Same thing four times in a row, but those words remind us of an elusive truth. As much as we try to carry the weight of the world, to take it upon ourselves, to fix everything, to keep our lives running smoothly, it is Jesus who ultimately needs to have us in his hands. And yet it is up to you and me to trust in Jesus to trust in Him, or to decide instead to carry the burden ourselves. In my experience, this is a daily challenge and a daily decision. Now, in New York City, there's a place where this choice is vividly on display, but most would never really know it. There was a pastor who used uh, this depiction of the world in his hands to convince people to turn their lives over to Jesus. And so he'd walk a man or woman downtown in front of the Rockefeller Center on Fifth Avenue. And in front of the building, there's a gigantic statue, massively proportioned, magnificently muscled in his atlas, with the whole world resting on his shoulders. And as powerful, powerfully built as he is, he is straining under the weight barely able to stand holding the globe. And the pastor would say, now that's one way to live, trying to carry the whole world on your shoulders. But now, let's go across the street. And across the street was St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there behind the altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus in child form. He appears to be no more than eight or nine years old, and as little as he looks compared to the massive atlas across the street, he's holding the whole world this little statue of Jesus, in just one hand, easily. And that's when the pastor would say, now you have a choice. You can carry the whole world on your shoulders, or you can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, my whole world. What is it that burdens you? Will you entrust it to Jesus? The Christian life is not one of increasing burdens, but one of lifting off burdens. Whenever you feel a burden in your life that you cannot bear, it's a warning to go and seek Jesus, to trust Him with your struggle. Trying to work yourself out of the burden is like struggling in quicksand. It's only going to get worse. So when you trust in Jesus, He will give you grace and freedom from those burdens. And then your response 
is that of servanthood, wanting to help others with their burdens. And your response will also be to want to constantly point to the glory of God so others can see who God is. Let's read the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. In this text, we find Jesus confronting the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws. He's calling them out for the hypocrisy. They've turned their faith in God into a religion of burden. So, let's go to Matthew chapter 23, reading verses 1 through 12. And the text reads like this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they've done is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven." nor are you to be called instructors. For you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled, for those who humble themselves will be exalted. These are some of the last words that Jesus will speak publicly in the temple before he's arrested, and he aims them straight at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And who are the Pharisees? These were a group of Jewish men who dedicated themselves to meticulously obeying God's law. However, they're not just obeying God's law. They specialized in obeying a framework of rules developed over the history of Israel on what they believed it took to follow God's law. So, it's not just God's commandments they obeyed, but thousands upon thousands of rules created to ensure obedience to those commands. This sort of obedience to all of these different rules took a tremendous amount of diligence and time. If you were to devote yourself to the thousands and thousands of rules, there was little time for anything else. And so, being a Pharisee was a full-time job. You didn't really achieve anything else other than this obedience. This meant despite their fame and despite their reputation, there were just not many Pharisees. The reality is there were likely no more than 6,000 Pharisees. They were championed by the common person in Israel of what devotion to God looked like, but there was a problem. The Pharisees gained great notoriety for their dedication, and with that notoriety came the temptation to bask in the approval of others. They were specialists in religion. They were dedicated to legalism, and the Pharisees, for all of their devotion to God's law, missed the point of their faith, which is to know God. Instead, the Pharisees, they wanted reverence and respect for themselves. So, Jesus points to a different way, a way of servanthood. And that's what I want you to think of as we look at our text today. All that is described to the Pharisees is uh, positions where they're trying to bring reputation to themselves. And Jesus is proposing the opposite, that 
people that follow the Lord, that follow Jesus, they serve others. And so, here's my first point, is that servanthood will bring out the best in others. So, Jesus points out the teaching of the Pharisees, and he says it's it's with authority, and it should be obeyed, and even highlights this by mentioning the Moses seat. And we have archaeological evidence of the Moses seat in some early synagogues. It was a special seat in the synagogue where a rabbi would give their teaching from. This seat represented the authority of uh, the law, especially going all the way back to Moses. And the thinking was, well, Moses received the law from God, and Moses gave the law to Israel. So, if you sit in this seat, the teaching from this seat was likened to the authority of Moses. But there was a problem with the Pharisees' teaching. Not even the Pharisees follow their own teachings on the law. So, Jesus speaks about the Pharisees and teachers of the law with a phrase similar to one we often hear in our culture today, do what I say, but not what I do. And uh, it's okay to obey what they teach, but don't imitate them. That's the way that Jesus says, obey what they teach, but don't imitate. And what is it that we're not to imitate? Well, the Pharisees made religion into a heavy burden of do's and don'ts, an impossible boulder of behavior management. And on top of that, they refused to help anybody that they put these boulders upon. Ultimately, the Pharisees were measuring their worthiness by their obedience to the law. Obedience is good. Obedience is a way to worship God, to bring Him glory. But there is no level of obedience that makes you worthy. There is no level of obedience that makes you worthy of God's love or His forgiveness. He gives those as a free gift through Jesus. One day, a father decided to take his son to play at the local park. The boy quickly gravitated to the sandbox and found himself mesmerized by the colors and textures surrounding him. After a short time, he began digging around to see what treasures might reveal themselves to him in the sand. And as as his hands plunged under the sand, he discovered something rather large. And having pushed enough of the sand away, realized that it was a large rock. And instantly he knew that he needed to move that rock no matter how big it was. This rock was an obstacle to his dreams of a sandbox clear of all extraneous matter. And so the boy tried as hard as he could to move the rock. He pushed and he pushed and he pushed and he finally got it to the edge of the sandbox. But the next step would be the hardest. How could he get it up and over and out the edge? Again, the boy pushed and pushed until his energy was completely fried. The rock's stuckness matched the boy's feelings of the situation and eventually he started to sob. The boy's father watched all this, and just when the meltdown began, the father went over to his son and began to comfort his overtaxed and dejected son. Why didn't you use all the strength available to you to move the rock? The father asked. The boy was confused and said, "I, I did, Daddy. It was just too heavy. No, son, you didn't. You didn't ask me to help. And at that, the father lifted the rock with a single hand and tossed it out of the sandbox. The Pharisees built burdens of legalisms that only they thought they could solve. Perhaps you have a burden that you feel like only you can solve, but you can't. Will you entrust it to Jesus today? He is a strength that you have access to if you would just receive. Now, Jesus does have a task for us. He tells us in verse 11 that the greatest among you will be your servant. And we need to do the opposite of what the Pharisees do. They want to show their greatness, but they don't want to lift a finger to help those who are burdened. 
And the Christian shows the greatness of Jesus by helping bear the burdens of our neighbors, others in the church. Paul writes about this to the Christians in Galatia. It's there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It's just a real quick verse. It says, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's fulfillment of the law right there. Carry each other's burdens. Now, you cannot remove the burdens of others. Only Jesus can do that. But you can walk alongside a person and shoulder some of the load. When you do this, you have the perfect opportunity to point to Jesus. And that's the other side of this. We are to share in one another's burdens to bring out the best in them. But then a servanthood, servant leadership will point to God and give him the glory. Because again, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and their hunger for pride and personal glory. There is not glory in such a hunger, though we think there might be. And so they wear these things. And Jesus mentions the phylacteries and the tassels. And what on earth is a phylactery? You're probably wondering. The Pharisees, along with any devout Israelite, would wear phylacteries and tassels as reminders of their faith in God. But they also wore them as a sign of their devotion to God. It comes from several places in Scripture. I'll just read one to you. It's Exodus chapter 13, verse 9. It says, This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So, phylacteries are small leather boxes that are worn on the body that contain key portions of the Bible. They, uh, the Jewish people wear them, still do, on their forehead and on their arm, usually the left arm. They're worn every day except on Sabbath and on certain holy days. The box on the wrist contains one compartment, and it holds four passages of Scripture, which is Exodus 13, verses 1 through 10, Exodus 13, 11 through 16, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 12. Now, the box worn on the head is very similar in size, but it has four separate compartments. And they have the same four scriptures in them, but each one is now its own little scroll placed in that little box and then tied to the forehead. Now, the tassels were there to remind the Israelites of the commands of God. Each knot in a tassel eventually became a representation of a portion of the law. You can read about it in Numbers 15, verses 37 through 41, or Deuteronomy 12, or 22, verse 12. These tassels were to be worn on daily clothing, but eventually became a part of the prayer shawl. And and eventually, uh, for the Pharisees, they would put a knot in for each law in the Word of God. And so, uh, they had these long tassels with many knots. And so, these tassels and boxes that the Pharisees are wearing... Uh, are reminders of their faith, reminders of obedience, but they're not wearing normal ones. They're wearing overly large ones that everyone can see. It's no longer about faithfulness. It's about letting everybody else know that they're holy. They're no longer reminding themselves of God's commands, but instead they're showing off to everybody else. And additionally, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were coveting titles for themselves. Uh, Jesus warns against three specific titles, rabbi, teacher, and uh, father. It's not that no one is to be a teacher or a parent, but among God's people, there's to be a limit in the hierarchy. 
Every Christian will always be a disciple of Jesus. Never should we be a disciple of Paul or Peter or Martin Luther or Billy Graham. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, is built on level ground before the cross. All of us have the same need for Jesus. And we're all brothers and sisters in the family of God. And that's why servant leadership takes a high priority. Being a servant takes a high priority. The ideal servant lives to care for, to protect, and make better the lives that are over top of them. And it should be the same way for the Christian, because we should see no one beneath us. Every person we encounter in life is an opportunity to serve and to point to Jesus. And we'll always be tempted to worry about our own appearance and success more, so we got to work at serving. We might not wear tassels or boxes of scripture on our foreheads and on our wrists, but there's no shortage of ways that people show their success and achievement. It's through the clothing we wear, a job title we have, a pay grade we make, grades on a report card, the car we drive, or any number of countless ways can become a show of importance. Sharon Miller writes about this. I like her illustration with a Christmas tree. She says this, Christianity can be such a pretty faith. God calls us to wonderful things, to noble deeds, and to be a people of love. We're meant to be kind, joyful, brave, and good. These are attractive qualities that most people would love to be known for, Christian or not. The trouble is, we can approach the Christian life in the same way that we decorate a Christmas tree, by piling on the pleasing spiritual adornments. We can dress up our lives with church commitments, with community service, spiritual language, and a clean-cut family, and an, un- and an upbeat attitude. All of these things look so great, so Christian, while obscuring what's really going on underneath, beneath all the spiritual glitz. We can exist, cut off from our root system without detection. We can appear to be thriving, even though we are disconnected from the vine or disconnected from Christ. You and I are not called to cover ourselves with decorations that look good and then point to ourselves. But we are to become servants who, in everything we do, point to Jesus with every part of our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism captures it really well when it says, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We are to glorify God in all that we do. John the Baptist, he took this attitude. The crowds were flocking to the Jordan River to hear his teaching and to receive his baptism. But John knew he was not to keep the spotlight. And so he says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30. He says, he must become greater. He's speaking of Jesus. He must become greater and I must become less. And that should be your attitude. In every part of your life, allow Jesus to take the spotlight, to become greater, and for you to step back. Richard Foster tells a story about his youth working among the Inuit people in Alaska. He found that the Inuit people he was living among had a deep sense of a wholeness of life with no distinction between prayer and work. As a teenager, he'd gone to Alaska to help build the first high school above the Arctic Circle, but the work was really tough, really back-breaking, and one day he was digging a trench through the frozen soil, and an Inuit man watched him for a while and then said, you are digging a ditch for the glory of God, and Foster never forgot it. Nobody would ever remember that he dug that ditch, or perhaps even that ditch that had been dug uh, would eventually be forgotten itself. But he dug it with all his might, because every shovel full of dirt was a prayer to God, pointing to the glory of the Lord. Timothy Keller 
he also tells us something of the attitude difference that uh, needs to happen between serving yourself and then serving others and glorifying God. If you want to move away from serving yourself and you want to serve others and glorify God and point to the Lord, this is something that needs to happen. And so he writes these words. You're glorifying something when you find it beautiful for what it is in itself. Its beauty compels you to adore it, to have your imagination captured by it. That's what happened to me with Mozart. I listened to Mozart to get an A in music appreciation in college. I had to get good grades to get a good job, so in other words, I listened to Mozart to make money. But today, I'm quite willing to spend money just to listen to Mozart, not because it's useful to me anymore, but because it's beautiful in and of itself. It's no longer a means to an end, and when it's a person you find beautiful in that way, you want to serve them unconditionally. When you say, I'll serve as long as I'm getting benefits from it, it's not actually serving people, it's serving yourself through them. It's not circling them, orbiting around them, it's using them, getting them to orbit around you. To glorify others means to unconditionally serve them, not because we're getting anything out of it, just because of our love and appreciation for who they truly are. In May of 2018, a Connecticut hospital and a group of 12 surgeons worked for five hours to remove a tumor from the abdomen of a 38-year-old woman. Now, that may seem like a lot of doctors for a long time for a single tumor until you learn that that single tumor weighed 132 pounds. The patient reported that prior to the surgery, the tumor had grown at a rate of about 10 pounds per week. That's 40 pounds a month. The lead surgeon said that these types of tumors are big, but tumors this big are exceedingly rare in literature. In any sort of surgical literature, it may even be in the top 10 or 20 tumors removed around the whole world. The tumor was technically benign, but it was far from harmless. According to Dr. Andikin, the patient couldn't walk. She was malnourished because she was unable to eat, and she was at extreme danger for blood clots and other blood vessel-related damage. Her very life was in jeopardy. When I first walked in the examination room, I saw fear in the patient's eyes. The doctor said she was so hopeless because she had seen several other doctors and they were unable to help her. Can you imagine trying to go about your day with a 132-pound weight dragging you down from the inside? Can you imagine the pressure that must have built up around that poor woman, squeezing the maddening, crushing pressure? But then, can you imagine what that patient must have felt like the day after the surgery, the week after? Can you imagine the change that must have taken place after a 132-pound burden was removed? She's back to a normal life. She's back to work, the doctor said. When I saw her in my office, I saw smiles. I saw hope. I saw a happy woman who's back to her normal life and her family. Wouldn't you like to experience that kind of joy, that kind of freedom? You can in Christ Jesus, because it's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the answer to the burdens that you bear. Hand them over to him, whatever those burdens are, and then respond by living a life that shares bearing others' burdens and points to Jesus so that he's the one who gets glory. Let's take a moment and pray. And as we pray, maybe this is the moment, the opportunity for you to give your burdens over to Jesus, to trust his grace and his strength. 
dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to pray for each person who's listening in. Whatever burdens they're carrying, that they would entrust you with those battles. Show us the places in our lives where we're trying to carry the world on our shoulders. And help each of us to be a people who lives under your authority and your strength alone. Help us to share each other's burdens. And Lord, help our our church and our congregation that in all we do, the words we speak, that everything we do, we would point to Jesus and give him glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.